Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening as we continue our series this month in the evenings on Israel. And we are delighted each of you could be with us this evening. We have had a lot, a lot of comments from our first lesson, which we talked about some things. And so this is part two, Lord willing, the four parts. And uh, hopefully this will be uh, helpful for you. We encourage you to get your Bibles. Encourage you get a pen, paper. You might want to write down some things as we go through this. And uh, it's just some wonderful things we're hoping to learn and to grow and appreciate about this. Uh, this is timely because there's a war going on in Israel. And it would be lovely to get up here and say the war is over, but the war is not over. And as we keep going from week to week, it seems like things keep getting more and more intense. Uh, Israel is an ally to this country, and Israel is the only democracy in that area, and that's why it is of political interest to the United States. But in this setting here, we're not interested in politics. We're interested in what the Bible teaches. And so those are some things we're going to be kind of focusing upon as we do this. In our first lesson last week, and if you missed that, it's, it's uh, on our website, but in our first lesson last week, we walked through Israel as it was used in the Old Testament. And we talked about, first of all, the name Israel, how it began with a person, and then became a group of people, and then it became a land or a nation. And we saw the progression of that through the Old Testament. We also talked about the word Jew. We talked about the word Hebrew and the word circumcision as it's used to describe a people. And then we focused upon three promises. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, they're repeated in Genesis 15, that God made to Abraham. And we'll, we're going to be starting with that here in just a moment here. But, but God promised nation, the, uh, Abraham that he'd have a great nation. And he promised him a land. And he promised through his seed all the families or all the nations of the world would be blessed. And one of the things we're going, we have emphasized, we're going to keep emphasizing as we kind of build upon this series is those promises have been fulfilled. And so let's begin this evening in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And just to notice uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, as we talk about a mighty nation, talking about people here, that God had promised Abraham that he would have people as numerous as the stars in the sky. So it says in Hebrews 11 verse 12, it says, Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that time, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is on the seashore. And so that, that's written in past tense. That's already taken place. And so that's telling us that as God made three promises, first of all, you're going to have a lot of descendants. That's been fulfilled. The second promise is that I'm going to give you a land. We call that the promised land. And as we saw last week in Joshua chapter 21, that was fulfilled. And then the third promise, through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we talked a little bit about that last week. We'll carry over and talk about that a little bit more tonight. Tonight, our focus is upon Israel as it's talked about in the New Testament. But before we get there, I want to go to two places in the book of Jeremiah. So let's go back to the book of Jeremiah. And, in fact, we'll look at a third place later in our lesson. So, Jeremiah chapter 11 is where we're going to start. And, and again, the 
interest and focal point of so much of the discussion uh, spiritually or religiously is about Israel as a land. And what we find in Jeremiah chapter 11 is that the land promise was conditional. God did not say you would have this land forever. It was conditional. And so let's, let's read this here in Jeremiah chapter 11. We're going to start with verse 1 where it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Hear the words of this covenant, and speak to men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and say to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Cursed is the man who does not heed the words of this covenant, which I have commanded your forefathers in the day which I brought them out of the land of Egypt from the iron furnace, saying, Listen to my voice, and do according to all that I command you, so you shall be my people, and I will be your God." In order to confirm the oath which I, which I swore to your forefathers, to give them a land flowing with milk and honey as it is to this day. Thus I said, Amen, O Lord. And the Lord said to me, Proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, saying, Hear the words of this covenant and do them. For I solemnly warned your fathers in the day that I brought them up from the land of Egypt, even to this day, warning persistently, Listen to my voice." Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked each one in the stubbornness of his evil heart. Therefore I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, and they did not. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to me, A conspiracy has been found among them, among the men of Judah, and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They turned their back to the iniquities of their ancestors, and refused to hear my words, and they've gone after other gods, and served to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant which I made with their fathers. I want to focus particularly on that phrase in verse 10. They have broken my covenant. Therefore, says the Lord, behold, I'm bringing disaster on them and they will not be able to escape. Though they cry to me, I will not listen to them. Then the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem will go and cry to their gods to whom they burn incense and they surely will not save them in the time of their disaster. For your gods are as many as your cities, O Judah, and as many as the streets of Jerusalem are the altars you have set up to do shameful things, altars to burn, incense to Baal. What God's saying here is, we had, we had an agreement. I'm going to give you this land, but you're going to obey me, because I am God. I kept my promise. You didn't keep your promise. And so therefore, you lose this. Now flip ahead, if you will, to Jeremiah chapter 13. And again, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 19. Jeremiah chapter 19. And let's look at verses uh, 10 and following. Jeremiah 19, verse 10. Jeremiah is, is told earlier in this chapter to get a pot. Kind of like what I got right here, okay? Probably didn't look like that, but kind of like that. Okay, so he says in verse 10, Then you are to break the jar in the sight of the men who accompany you. And say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, just so I'll break this people and this city, even as one breaks a potter's vessel, which cannot be repaired, and they will bury in Topeth, because there is no other place for burial. What God's saying is, I'm taking the land away from you. Okay, I made a promise, you didn't keep the promise, so take this jar and throw it down, smash it, and that's going to be what we see. So when we get to the end of the Old Testament... We have Israel as a people, but they don't have a land. 
So by the time of Jeremiah, right after Jeremiah, the Babylonians come in, and they control that. And then it's the Persians. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the Greek nation. And then by the days of Jesus, there are Jews in Jerusalem, but they don't own the land. It's the Romans. So take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We find little phrases like this throughout our Bible, and when we think about our lesson tonight, it helps us by putting these things together. In Matthew 27, as it tells us in verse 1, Matthew 27, verse 1, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. Jesus is going through a series of Jewish trials. And they bound him, verse 2, and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Why did they take Jesus to Pilate? Because the Jews, although they're in Jerusalem, they're not a nation of independence. They have to ask the Romans because the Romans control them. And so they don't have the right to execute somebody. So they have to go to the Roman governor to get that kind of permission. So, so what we're seeing here is, as, as we get to the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, we have lots of Jews, but they're not independent. Not until 1948, when they became the independent nation, do we see that. All right. Your turn. So, <laughs> let's open our Bibles to John 8, getting us to the New Testament. The picture that, that Roger has painted is really important for us to see. We've got... The fulfillment of God making a nation through Abraham of his family line. God gave them a land, but by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament and especially the beginning of the New Testament, those people do not have that land for themselves. And so the question ought to be as the New Testament opens, well, what? What is God wanting these people to do? What is the mission? What is the news that needs to be spread? We might expect, well, listen, we've got to take this land back. And Jesus is the anointed one. He is the long-awaited Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to rally all of these descendants of Abraham we're going to arm ourselves. We're going to storm the city walls of Jerusalem. We're going to go in there. We're, we're going to clear the Romans out. And Jesus, our long-awaited heir of David, is going to reign finally in Jerusalem. There are a lot of people. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There were a lot of people who thought that's what's going to happen. But that is not what happened. And that is what we want to try and help you clearly see this evening. The emphasis of the New Testament. Three really big things that happen as Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ, the heir of David, steps on the scene. And the first of those is, in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham... Jesus introduces a worldwide faith. Now it goes back to those promises in Genesis 12. All series long, we're going to take you back to Genesis 12 because that's the, the backbone of everything. Remember, God makes three promises. 
I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give that nation a land in which to live. And somehow, some way through that family line, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That is Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. The question is, how? number one, is that fulfilled? And number two, how? Because we all need to understand if God fulfills something and it doesn't meet my expectations, well, the problem is with my expectations and not with God, his plan, his fulfillment. John chapter 8, if you'll begin reading with me in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You think that would resonate with Jews in Jerusalem? Most certainly it would. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. I'm not sure that was entirely accurate. It wasn't close. It wasn't, it wasn't close to being We accurate. have Babylon, we have Persians, yeah. we have Greeks, we have Romans. They, yes. they were not free at that moment. Yeah. So they are barking up the wrong tree. And John is going to help us see that clearly. They, they say, how, how is it that you say you will become free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see, Jesus is talking about a different kind of slavery. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham. They were in that family line. Jesus knows that. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now, this raises an interesting question. What if people who are of this family line, who had been inheritors of that promise, God had kept his promise, their forefathers had lost the land, but what happens if this family line does not accept God's fulfillment of promise number three. That's what's going on here. Verse 38, I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your, fa your father. Now, who is their father? They, they answer him, Abraham is our father. But again, Jesus is talking about a different kind of father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, now, I want you to tuck that in the back of your mind because that's an important <clears throat> if. It is not that, well, now I'm not sure whether or not you're actually descendants of Abraham. He, he brought up in their DNA, they are genealogical descendants of Abraham. But he's talking about now a different kind of descendant. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. 
you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Why? Well, because not only is he the son of God, he's the fulfillment of promise number three, right? But you, you're missing it. You, in verse 43, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. This is that context where Jesus, you skip down to verse 56, says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. What does Jesus mean by that? He's the fulfillment of promise number three that God made to Abraham. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they're ready to kill him. The, the question is, okay, if some in Jesus' own generation did not believe he was the fulfillment of promise number three, is that a big deal? And the New Testament says in no uncertain terms, it is the deal. You cannot depend on promise one and promise two and leave promise number three saying to God, well, I, I'm, I'm not interested in the way you're fulfilling that. No, no, no. Promise three is the greatest promise of all. So let me, before I kick it back over to Roger, let me just take you on a very brief tour. You might have to turn a page. John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 16. I just want you to notice how Jesus talks. Talking about being the good shepherd, right? He says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now, there were plenty of people, including the apostles, who didn't know what Jesus meant there. But I want to show you, we can understand exactly what he meant there. Let, let's go to the next book of the Bible, Acts chapter 10, and, and we get a very clear sense of what did Jesus mean when he said, there is a fold here, the fold of Israel, but I have more sheep who are not of this fold. I'm going to bring them together and there's going to be one fold, one shepherd. Well... Acts chapter 10, we read about a Gentile named Cornelius, who is a, a good man, but he doesn't know God, right? He doesn't know the great fulfillment of God's plan. And so in Acts chapter 10, for the sake of time, let's skip down to verse 28. God says to send for this man, Peter, he's going to come to you and he's going to tell you words by which you must be Saved Peter, a Jew, in Acts chapter 10, comes to Cornelius' household and Cornelius falls down and worships him. Peter says, get up, I I'm just a man. 
Verse 28, notice what this Jew says. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Any person? Even a Gentile? You look down at verse 34. Peter opens his mouth and says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation. Peter didn't always understand this, but he is coming to understand the fulfillment of promise number three. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. By the end of the chapter, Cornelius and his household are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah, for the forgiveness of their sins. You want to learn more about what that conversation was like? That's what Acts 15 is all about. We've got the circumcised in Jerusalem who are just not sure about this, the apostles and others lean on Old Testament prophecy and say, listen, this is what God was doing all along. You remember God promised all nations would be blessed, not just us. So let me give you two more and then I'll kick it back over to you. First John, let's go toward the end of our Bibles. First John chapter 2. First John chapter 2 and verse 2. I want you to hear the news as it was spread all over the world, beginning in Jerusalem. First John chapter 2, verse 1 holds up Jesus Christ the righteous. Verse 2 of First John 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the sacrifice given to atone for our sins. How would someone of John's background naturally read that? Well, us Jews. He's the sacrifice for our sins. But John wants us to understand. And not for ours only. But also for the sins of the whole world. So let's end in Galatians chapter 3 with my little tour here. Galatians <coughs> chapter 3. Such a key passage in this entire Discussion. You remember we ended last Sunday evening in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, talking about the law of Moses. Galatians 3, 24. The law was our guardian until the Lord's anointed came, until the Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. Something has changed. That's going to set us up for point number two. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Well, who's the all? As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Who's, who's the as many of you? There is in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all. What did Jesus promise? I have other sheep who are not of this fold. And I'm going to bring them in and there's going to be one flock, one shepherd. 
We're reading about the fulfillment of that, the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to Abraham in Christ. It no longer matters what your genealogical line is. What matters is, are you Abraham's offspring? Not just biologically, but an offspring by faith according to the promise. What promise? Genesis chapter 12. When Jesus came on the scene, three important things took place. Number one, in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, Jesus introduced a worldwide faith. Number two. Number two. Number two is God prophesies a change in the covenant. Before we leave Galatians 3, let's go back and look at 29 again. Let's park on that. We'll be, we'll be coming back to that one more time later. But if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants. Uh, I had an email conversation with a lady this past week. She's chasing some of her family history. Uh, it got connected to my family history. I gave her some great descendants way back there. And she wrote back and she goes, we are related. I said, yeah, we are. But what, what this passage is saying here. I could trace my family back, and I'm not related to Abraham, but I am of Abraham by faith, and that's the change. So take your Bible. Let's go back to Jeremiah once more, Jeremiah chapter 31 this time, and we have already talked about this promise, this covenant that God made with Israel, and in our earlier Jeremiah passages, they kept breaking that covenant. So God prophesied there'd be a new covenant coming about. And it's going to be different than the first covenant. So Jeremiah chapter 31, and let's begin with verse 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them from the hand, by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them even to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now this passage is quoted in the book of Hebrews chapter 8 as it talks about that new covenant with Abraham. Now how, how this is described, let me, let me kind of lay this out for you. Back the first covenant, you were born Jewish. And so if you were a Jewish little boy, at eight, at eight days old, you were circumcised according to the law. When you got a little bit of age on you, mom and dad would start teaching you the law of Moses. Now, you were in that covenant family because you were born in there. You didn't know the law, but later you were taught that law. Now, what he's saying is in this new change, you're not born into it and then you learn it. You learn it first, talking about the gospel of Jesus, and then you're born. Remember what Jesus said in John 3 to Nicodemus? You cannot be in the kingdom unless you're born anew or born again. 
So this new covenant he's describing here is a covenant in which we go in with our eyes open. I've been taught the gospel, and it's a covenant not based upon nationality, not based upon ancestry. It's based upon faith. And so when I believe in Jesus and I do what Jesus says, I become a part of that family. So first covenant, Jews were born into whether they wanted to be or not, this new covenant is a personal choice. Absolutely. That each person must Absolutely. Make. All right. Big idea number three. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. When the Christ comes on the scene, three important things take place. Jesus introduces a worldwide faith. In fulfillment of prophecy, there is a new covenant, a new way of having a relationship with God and the people of that new covenant, the people who begin <clears throat> with faith in Jesus, they confess, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. They are baptized in the name of Jesus, like Cornelius was, for the forgiveness of his sins. We are described now in a wide variety of ways, but significant for our series this month, you're a part of a new Israel. So let me just show you that language, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll go back to the book of Romans. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Notice what Peter says. But you are a chosen race. Who, who's the you? Well, earlier in the chapter, he's, he's talking about people who have come to build their lives on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. Whoever's making that choice, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And what he's talking about is not the physical nation of Israel. That's what got him thrown in prison in Jerusalem, right? Because you're, you're saying that there's a new, a different way of relating to God. And, and Peter says, I'm, I'm just the messenger. But this is the message. If you are in Christ, you're a part of a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It is the fulfillment of promise number three, and it is open to everyone. So let's go back to the book of Romans. Okay, book of Romans. We're going to start in chapter 2, then we're going to go to chapter 9. Romans chapter 2, verse 28, verse 29. This gets a little... A little choppy as you read this, but let's, let's just walk through this. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Let's just stop there. You can say, well, no, no, he is. He was born Jewish. By, by, by his ethnic, he is Jewish. Okay? What Paul's describing is, who is the real Jew? Who is really Israel? It's not by birth. It's not by where you live. It's by what's in your heart. So, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So right there, what he's starting to establish is Israel, as it's used in the Old Testament, is different now. We're talking about the people of God by faith. 
And so I cannot say, well, my daddy's Jewish, I'm Jewish, I'll always be Jewish. That's how it is. What, what he's saying here is, you are Israel if you're following Jesus. It doesn't matter whether you're from the country of Israel, the country of Germany, the country of America. Where you're from doesn't matter. It's what's in your heart. That's what he's saying. But you got to follow Jesus. Got to. And that is what he develops all the way through Romans chapter 8. Let's go to the beginning of Romans 9. He develops the gospel all through Romans. Jews need salvation. Gentiles need salvation. Salvation is available in Jesus. And now in Romans 9, he circles back. Well, okay, what about all that God did through the physical nation of Israel. And so you can see there at the end of verse 3, Paul's going to start talking about his kinsmen according to the flesh. Those are genealogically Jews. What about them? Verse 4 of Romans 9, they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. God gave a lot to those people, right? To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, what's promise number three? Through them came the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But, verse 6. It is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all genealogical Jews in the first century or the 21st century are a part of this new Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. Just because you're of the offspring of, of Abraham. No. Verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. What promise? Promise number three. Through Abraham's family line, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But you've got to submit to Jesus. Down in verse 25, he leans on the words of Hosea. Those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will, will call beloved. For a very long time, there were, part of, there, there were Gentiles who were not a part of the people of God. But with the coming of the Christ, something was going to change. Verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. There, there are Gentiles who are right with God. How? By faith. faith. By faith in whom? Jesus the Christ. But we can also say that Israel who pursued a law, they had the law of Moses, but they haven't succeeded in reaching that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. Now the question is, well, what, what, what's he mean by that? They've stumbled over a stumbling stone as it is. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you believe in Jesus, this cornerstone you build your life on. And you are a part of the new Israel. 
But whoever is in your family line, if you do not believe Jesus is the Lord's anointed one, you're not building on that stone, you're going to stumble over that stone, and even if Abraham was your forefather, you are missing out on the greatest promise of all. Okay, so let's turn to the book of Galatians now. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, and then we're going to go back to our passage in chapter 3. But Galatians chapter 6, and in verse 15, Galatians 6 verse 15, Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now that's a pivotal verse, because that's a verse that would define, am I Jewish or not? If I'm a male and I'm circumcised, that means I'm Jewish. If I'm not, that means I'm Gentile. What Paul's saying, it doesn't matter. Physically, it doesn't matter. What matters is by faith. That's what we're driving at. And so when you go back once again to chapter 3 and look at verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants. You get that? It doesn't matter whether my heritage is Jewish or not. It doesn't matter whether I've ever lived in Jerusalem or not. What matters is, do I belong to Jesus? Now, let's just throw in a few other verses here and there. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians now. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then all this kind of, I think to me, just starts fitting together real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle here is talking about the church. He says in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Now that was huge. Because under the Old Testament system, the, Jerusalem, the, the temple was in Jerusalem. It was only for Jews. He's talking now to the New Testament Christians, those who belong to Jesus. The church is the temple of God. Now, you've heard us use this verse a lot of times in our sermons, but go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and in verse 1, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Once again, that idea, Jews would go to Jerusalem, there would be a physical building called the temple, the priests would make sacrifices, you are the temple of God. You are the sacrifice of God. You are Israel. See what I'm saying there? And so when we come to the New Testament, yes, there were physical Jews, just as today there are physical Jews. There is a physical place on your map you can call Israel. But the Israel to God today are those who follow Jesus, which means you and me. Now, let's go all the way to the last book of the Bible, book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Now, we're jumping right in the middle here, and you have to understand the book of Revelation is, is highly symbolic. And he's going to be describing here in verse 4 those who make up the 144,000. That's just a number that means a lot of the saved. He's not saying it's a literal number. But I want you to notice what follows. 
Revelation 7, verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Verse 5, from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. And he goes through the 12 tribes. Well, I'm reading that thinking, well, you know what? I'm not from any of those tribes. I'm not Jewish. What about me? He's not talking about physical Jews. By the time this is written, most folks didn't even know what tribe they were from. He's talking about the spiritual Israel. He pulls an idea from the Old Testament. The idea that those people were the chosen, the chosen today are the Christians, the followers of God. Now, let's turn our Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, kind of wrap this up and put this all together. And I hope, uh, if you've got any questions, be sure and ask us. We'll, we'll be, do our best. Uh, you ask me any questions, I'm going to tell you to go see Jason. And, and that would be real helpful. And so, uh, but, but we, hope this is, we hope this is clear for you. To understand that when we use that word Israel, it has changed through the Bible. And so the Israel, by the days of Jesus, emphasized that third promise. That the people of God are not from one nation. God does not have an American flag on his pickup in heaven. I don't think he has a pickup. And he definitely doesn't have an American flag. Sometimes we talk about we are a Christian nation. Well, no. That's, that, that's, not, that, that's thinking very much like ancient Israel. Okay? We be a Christian person. Okay? But we can't say it's the nation. And so we have to be very careful in our language and in our attitudes that we don't act like ancient Israel. So we today are spiritual Israel. We are the people of God. So because I'm in this building, I'm going to heaven. Be careful. That's what they thought. Because I'm descendant from Abraham, I'm saved. No, no. You broke promises. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is a good reminder that the apostle puts here before the Christians. It says, for I want you to know uh, for, I, uh, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers who are all under the cloud have passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Why? Because they broke the covenant with God. And so today, okay, am I of Israel? I am if I belong to Jesus and I walk with him. When we go to heaven, we're not going to go as a congregation. There won't be a bus that pulls up and says, we're heading to heaven. Everyone from Charlestown Road, get on this bus, here we go. We won't go as families. We'll go as individuals. Am I with Jesus? And so ancient Israel got real arrogant in their attitude. And they got that idea that we are of Abraham. These promises are to Abraham. So we got our ticket signed, sealed, and delivered, and nothing can happen. And what God said is, you broke that covenant, and you're not my people. Who are my people are the people who walk with Jesus. And that's what we need to see and appreciate. Okay. I'm really proud of you for getting through and not breaking that. Well, I don't like, I like my jugs. For a moment, I thought you were going to no, throw it on the floor. No, 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 I like my jugs. <laughs> Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. 
Acts chapter 2. Thank you so much for your, your very kind attention, and especially, as Roger mentioned, the great encouragement over the, the last couple of days in this series. Roger mentioned questions. Lord willing, next Sunday evening, we're going to talk about the kingdom and what the kingdom is today and how it relates to modern-day Israel. And then we'll wrap it up, Lord willing, two weeks from this evening by talking about us. What should we be thinking How should we be praying, especially when there are heartbreaking things going on in the world? We hope in that fourth session, two weeks from tonight, to be able to to field questions that you have. And so if already there are questions in your mind based on what we've talked about, if you would jot those down or email them or text them to either one of us, we will definitely do our best to, uh, to walk through those. I hope what has come through loud and clear for this evening is this idea of the promise. That language is all over the New Testament. And significantly, it is right here in Acts 2, just weeks after Jesus, the Lamb provided by God for the sins of the world, was crucified and briefly buried. And then came out of the tomb and told his apostles to stay in Jerusalem because something was going to happen. And in fact, it did happen on the Jewish day of Pentecost. There was the sound of a mighty rushing wind and thousands gathered to see what this is all about. And then suddenly Galileans start speaking in languages that they've never studied and And they're talking good news of a king who has arrived. And the climax of it all is in Acts chapter 2 verse 36. When Peter leads the rest of the apostles in saying, Let all the house of Israel. Let let all of you Jews who are gathered here in Jerusalem for this Pentecost day. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. The Holy Spirit of God could have led Peter to preach anything that day. But it was not. Listen. This world is a mess but you're children of Abraham. And so just keep doing what you're doing and it's all going to be okay. That's not what he said. And it most certainly was not, listen, you're the children of Abraham and for a very long time you haven't had the land that God promised. And and that promise, that covenant was conditional, but now it is time for a great awakening and for you to get your swords and your spears and your shields and we're going to overthrow the Romans and and drive them out of Jerusalem and and Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign on David's throne and it's all going to be great. That's, That's not at all what he preached what he preached was the fulfillment of promise number three because that's what mattered God fulfilled promise one and he fulfilled promise two and what matters what we want you to see crystal clear whether you live in the first century or the 11th century or the 21st century or if this world stands the 31st century. What matters is, will I choose to be a part of promise number three? When people wanted to know how, how do we do that, 
He replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise that God fulfilled through Jesus, the promise that through Jesus all the nations of the earth could be blessed, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself and with many other words he challenged them encouraged them save yourself you see this is a choice that each person must make and we want you to seriously consider that choice this evening the lord's anointed one has come there is a new way of having a relationship with god his name is jesus he gave his life for you if you're ready to respond to this invitation, the Lord's invitation, would you let us know how we can help you by coming to the front while we stand and sing together?